really glad to be here. So this morning, we're going to be looking at what spirit-filled worship looks like. We're in a series together as a church this summer called, wait for it, it's the most creative sermon title ever, Summer of the Spirit. I mean, that took hours and hours of high-level planning to come up with that. So uh, so we all, always, as a church, want to give our, are you sure the pulpit's not closer to the fan? I'm sure, are you sure? No, I'm not, no, it'll, I don't want to get too comfy. Might be here too long. Um, so, um, lost my train of thought. Shouldn't have done that. Um, we always want to be a church that's devoted to the to the Spirit of God, seeking God. But uh, it, this summer, we want to particularly pay attention to what does a life look like that is um, walking in the Spirit. So today, we're going to be looking at worship. Now, like Jared said, uh, I get to serve on staff at Radiant Church as the operations director, which means. I help things operate, which means I do anything and everything needed to help things operate. So when Jared tells me, hey, you know what would really help us operate is if you come teach on worship, I say, yes. I'm, I'm actually always looking for an excuse, a reason to come to Radiant Tulare. I like when I get, when I get around you guys. It's an, and you guys are doing so well. I mean, really. I, I, you know, what, like when you like only see a kid like once or twice a year, you notice how big they grow or, you know, it's really fun. I mean, you guys are right up close to it, but when I get to come here, it's just so encouraging. You guys are doing great. And if you're just showing up and kind of new to the party, this is a great time to join uh, what God's doing here at Radiant Church in Tulare. So I'm encouraged. This is fun. So we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter five. If you have a Bible. If you don't, that's okay. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, Ephesians toward the end of the Bible. There's a bunch of books that end in I-A-N-S, and Ephesians is one of them. So uh, we're going to be looking at a scripture in Ephesians 5, paying attention to what spirit-filled worship looks like. And I hope today you'll see that spirit-filled worship reflects the nature and character of God as we glorify and enjoy him. So who we worship is, of course, vital how we worship is also important. And I know when I say this word worship, it can mean 10 different things to 10 different people. So just for the sake of speaking the same language, here's how I would define spirit-filled worship. I think there's a slide that says, what is worship? Sp- uh, worship that is glorifying and enjoying God, that is awakened, energized, and sustained by the Spirit of God. So glorifying and enjoying God that's awakened, energized, and sustained by the Spirit of God. Or in more simple terms, because I'm a simple guy, it's when God helps you experience him and make a big deal of him. Because that's what we talk about when we say the word glorifying. I know that's a big churchy word. Glorifying simply means giving credit where credit is due. So giving credit where credit is due. Putting someone or something on display, pointing them out for a great reason. So when we speak of God's glory, we're talking about the weightiness or substance of his goodness, of who he is. That's what is glorious. So glorifying means pointing that out, putting that on display. Enjoying, when I say enjoying, enjoying, I hope we understand. Enjoying is like savoring, taking in, basking in God's goodness and his character. That's what I mean by enjoying. So you might be thinking, okay, that's all great, but I'm not really a worshiper. That's not really my thing. My favorite part of the service is when we're done with the singing and I can eat a donut and chill out. I don't blame you. I understand. But you might be putting worship in a category it doesn't belong. You might be viewing it as a just as a purely religious exercise that a few kind of people are into. Um, 
If you don't think you're a worshiper, I would just invite you to watch your team score the winning run in the World Series, and you'll instantly become a worshiper. Or just eat a perfectly cooked filet that is smothered in melted butter, and you will be a worshiper. Or just walk into Yosemite Valley, and you are a worshiper because you're putting that center fielder or that chef or that farmer that raised the beef or that formation of granite, you're putting them on display. You're glorifying them and enjoying them. That's, that's simply what worship is. So when we speak of spirit-filled worship, it's where we are directing that glory and enjoyment toward God, and the Spirit of God is helping us do that. So we are all worshipers. It's not a question of if you're going to worship. It's the question is who you're going to worship and how will you worship him. So like I said, we want to be spirit-filled worshipers where enjoyment and glorification of God is sustained by the Spirit of God. So we're going to look at Ephesians 5 to take a look at that. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15. The Apostle Paul's writing to a church, uh, I imagine maybe a church about this size. Um, he's writing to them, encouraging them to be a group of worshipers. Here's what he writes in, starting in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's just pause and pray for a moment. Jesus, we thank you for your scriptures, for instructing us, for not leaving us as orphans to figure it out on our own, but you've, you've, you've instructed us through your word. We thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to sustain us and energize our worship of you. So come I pray and encourage our hearts as we do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So maybe you grew up in a church just like this, and what I'm saying today is no big deal to you, and you're used to spirit-filled worship. But perhaps you didn't, and um, that was the case for me. I um, understand how you might be feeling, because um, this sort of worship, spirit-filled worship that enjoys and glorifies God doesn't come naturally to me. For starters, I have a personality type that, um, how do I say this, like, doesn't like spontaneity. I, I really like when things go as planned. I really like planning things and when those plans happen. That is like music to my soul when that happens. I love spreadsheets and calendars and all that sort of stuff. I even love budgets. I mean, I know don't throw any pebbles at me. Um, so I, I don't like spontaneity, and I don't naturally enjoy speaking deeply from my heart. I don't enjoy, it doesn't come natural for me to speak uh, about my emotions. That is not something I do naturally. Uh, other people are more gifted in that way. Also, I grew up in a church where the, uh, the, the services were about an hour long. There was no spontaneity. Um, I, I don't remember anybody ever lifting their hands or clapping during worship. Certainly only particular people spoke from the front. Now, it's a church I still have great love for. I uh, really value the deposit of faith that I, as in my heart as a young person. Um, but it wasn't uh, this sort of church is what you could say. However, when I was in middle school, my older brother went to something called YWAM. 
And he came back with an acoustic guitar, a binder of worship songs, some CDs from a group called Vineyard, and he had a completely different experience and walk with God um, than we were used to in our Lutheran home. And so uh, he invited me and took me to a youth group at a place called Savior's Community Church. So if you know the history of Radiant Church, Radiant Church in Visalia was planted out of a Savior's Community Church, and then we merged back together eventually with them. And so I was uh, just early in high school at this youth group, and I was when my brothers had come to a youth group, I was expecting like my kind of youth group, but which is like a pizza party, maybe a church service, certainly some goofy games. That's that's my kind of youth group. So I walk in and I was completely blown away by how different it was. The lighting was super low. The singing alone lasted almost an hour, not just the whole service, but the singing. There was people my age there that were uh, clapping and raising their hands and smiling and enjoying God or crying with their faces on the ground. And so I simultaneously wanted to leave right away and keep coming back every week. I was just so like, what is this? This weirds me out, and I want to keep coming back. So um, through my years in high school, I grew um, in my experience and worship of God. I learned how to worship him in maybe a more free and demonstrative way. I still remember the first time I lifted my hands in worship, and I was convinced I look like an idiot right now. And everybody in the room is looking at me. I just was so like, uh, it was like, I wasn't even, I couldn't even tell you if I was worshiping at that point. I was just like, I'm going to do this. And, uh, and to my surprise, Nobody was really paying attention to me. They were very focused on loving Jesus themselves, and nobody thought I looked goofy. I was like, okay, and it became more comfortable over time. I vividly remember um, getting, uh, the, the God giving me the gift of speaking in tongues, and I was convinced that God was going to take control of my body and make my tongue move, and I was going to lose control, and I was just convinced. But to my surprise, it was much more like learning a language and participating with the Holy Spirit as he taught me to communicate back to God in a way that wasn't fruitful to my mind but was edifying to my soul. I, I remember learning to worship and sing to God alone in my bedroom and how awkward it was hearing my shaky voice sing new songs to Jesus. And I, I remember, especially over that season of my life, the nearness of God. Every time I stepped out into something that I thought was uncomfortable or would just I was certain it was going to kill me if I did this, and how close God was in fathering me and walking me into these new ways of experiencing him and worshiping him. So all that to say, if you're brand new to Jesus and this church thing, I totally understand where you're coming from. Learning to live a life, enjoying and glorifying God with a whole heart, I would just tell you, is a worthwhile endeavor. It's worth while. It's a good thing to give your life to. I can attest to the fruitfulness of God as, and it's not because I was wired that way or because I grew up this way, but there is something good and beautiful about learning to worship Jesus. So if you feel awkward as we sing, I would say good. Or if you got a million questions about why we do this or don't do that, I'd say good. Or maybe you've been at this for decades and you're feeling kind of tired. And maybe it's feeling a little familiar. I'd say, good, let the tiredness, let the questions, let the awkwardness draw you to Jesus. He loves to walk us through this stuff. He is very approachable and loves to teach us. So don't let the awkwardness cause you to run the other direction. But just lean toward him and ask him questions and let him walk you through this life of worship. So before we unpack Ephesians, 
I just want to point out, uh, there's a story in John chapter 4 where Jesus encounters this woman from a place called Samaria. She's got all kinds of questions about how to worship God. And Jesus tells her this amazing thing. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Because you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvations from the Jews. Now get this. This is, this is the, such a good line. He says, but the hour is coming. And is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. To be worshipers of Jesus, he tells us, we must worship in spirit and truth. And I take this to mean we have to have a true understanding of who God is. And we must have to have hearts that are fully engaged, head and heart fully engaged. And you might be more of a head guy like me or more of a heart person but if this isn't saying, hey, okay, half the church really get in the word, half the church really get in the spirit, and then that'll all even out. No, it's saying all of us must grow as worshipers in spirit and in truth. I love this quote from uh, an author, John Piper, from a book, Desiring God, which I highly recommend. Now, it's not light summer reading or anything, but it, it is a worthwhile book to read. read uh, yeah, we got this quote. He says, truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy in a church full or half full, of artificial admirers like people who write generic anniversary cards for a living. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. Strong affections for God, rooted in truth, are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. Strong affections for God, rooted in truth, are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. That's, Jesus said, these are the kind of worshipers the Father is seeking. So let's look at how this looks in Ephesians as we gather as a group of believers to worship. So um, we get a picture of what spirit-filled worship looks like among believers. So there's a few things to note here about what it means to be spirit-filled, because I, I think that's Paul's primary concern, is that people would be full of the Spirit, not just singing or doing the outward acts of, of what worship might look like, but to be filled with the Spirit. Paul knows that worship comes from within, so his main concern is that this church would be filled with the Spirit. Um, so we see that the, the being filled with the Spirit is powerful, it's continuous, and it's a command for all of us to obey. So it's powerful. We see that the the being filled with the Spirit is powerful as Paul compares it to getting drunk with wine, which you might think, like, that's kind of an odd comparison to make at church or when you're trying to get people to worship in the full of the Spirit. Why is he doing that? Well, I, I think the issue here is influence. Both being drunk and being filled with the Spirit are powerful influences on your behavior. I don't think he's comparing the behavior that results from those things, but comparing the power that, that results from them. So Paul's saying, if you want to be influenced, be influenced by the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, because you'll experience the powerful transformation of your character and your life in God as you are filled with the Spirit. Next, this being filled with the Spirit is continuous. Now, this uh, the verb doesn't come through real well in our English translations. But in the original language, when he says be filled, the implication is be filled and keep being filled. So this isn't a one-time experience at salvation or later on. What Paul is saying is be filled and keep being filled. Be filled and keep being filled. It's meant to be an ever-present reality for the follower of Jesus, that we'd be filled with the Spirit. 
be filled and keep being filled. I, I've tried to work this into my daily c- prayer routine, the simple prayer of fill me afresh, Holy Spirit. Fill me afresh, Holy Spirit. I'd, I'd encourage you to do that. I dare you to do that and see what happens. He's very faithful to do that. Um, next, being filled with the Spirit is a command. So Paul is not suggesting to the Ephesian church that maybe eventually they possibly sometime when they get around to it and they might feel open to possibly being filled with the Spirit. That's not what he's saying. He is saying, quite frankly, be filled. It's a command to obey. And you might be thinking, man, that's kind of harsh. Why would he command us to be filled with the Spirit? I thought the Spirit was supposed to be free and life-giving. Why would he, you know, really put a command on it? Well, I, I liken this to the command on Thanksgiving from your mother to eat and keep eating. I mean, that kind of command is like, I like that kind of command, right? And then she comes back and says, did you get enough? And would you like some pie? And I love that kind of command. So this isn't the command to like eat more veggies and go jogging more. My apologies if you're super into vegetables and running. Uh, But this is a command to have life and have life to the fill. God is demanding that you enjoy him and have life and life abundantly. So that is a great command to follow. It's not a heavy command. It is a command from a father who knows what's best for us. So now what are the results of this powerful, continuous thing that we're supposed to obey of being filled with the Spirit? Well, I think the effects is that um, the effects will, have, uh, will come through in our gratitude, in our, through various types of singing, and as we're submitted to one another. So the effects of being filled with the Spirit is that we would um, be, um, first Paul says, um, actually let's go in reverse order. He says right at the end to be submitted to one another, which is kind of an interesting thing. Like why be submitted to one another? Well, I think quite simply, it's possible for you to worship by yourself. Did you know that? Like Monday through Saturday, you can worship Jesus. I actually encourage you to do it. Um, but when you come here on a Sunday, you've got to be submitted to one another because we don't get, all get to do whatever we want. We don't get to all sing the songs we want. We have to sing the songs that Chris wants us to sing. And that's good because Chris has been praying about them and listening to God about what songs to sing. So we submit to Chris so that we can all worship together. So Paul's saying you've got to submit to one another in order to really worship together. That's a, g- a great thing. The other effect on being, f- uh, being filled with spirit is that gratitude will mark our songs and our words. We'll be gra- grateful. If you're focused on what's not going right or things that aren't going well, it's really hard to worship Jesus. But gratitude is an effect of being filled with the Spirit because we, we focus on what He has done and what He promises to do. Finally, the effect of being filled with the Spirit will result in us addressing, Paul says, one another in various types of songs. So psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So why three different types of songs, and why does he say addressing one another? Is he saying we're supposed to walk around and sing to each other instead of greet each other? You know, I don't know. I wasn't there. What I think Paul is saying, that in the presence of one another, we glorify Jesus with all kinds of songs. Because it's good for us. It's good for you to hear me worship God. And it's good for me to hear you worship God. It builds us up in the presence of one another to sing all kinds of songs. So what are these types of songs? Well, first, psalms. What are psalms? I think psalms are what they sound like. So in the middle of your Bible, there's a book called Psalms. It starts with a P, not an S, by the way. So 
Psalms is the hymn book of the church. It's been that for centuries. This is the, the divinely inspired word of God that teaches us how to worship God. So the Psalms should mark our times together at church. I love how Jared read a Psalm to, to start our time of worship. Those should mark our church. If you're in a rut in worshiping God, open to the Psalms and read them out loud. Or better yet, try to put a tune to them. Right? The Psalms can mark our life as a church. Now, what are hymns? Hymns, you might be thinking, hymns are the old songs, right? Hymns are the songs that were written before we were alive. Because that's what we call, we, like, the contemporary songs and then the hymns. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. I think what Paul is saying when he says hymns, hymns are the songs that are composed ahead of time by another person for the benefit of the church worshiping together. So th- hymns are the songs we sang today on the screen. Hymns are the songs that teach us how to love God together. The hymns uh, are not the divinely inspired word of God. So those words on the screen aren't like the word of God. However, they can be powerfully used by God, anointed by God to help us worship. That's what the hymns should be. So it's good that we're, I mean, you guys are like batting a thousand right now. You read a psalm. You sang some hymns. Uh, What are spiritual songs? Spiritual songs, what I think Paul's getting at here, are the spontaneous songs that kind of bubble up from our hearts as we're worshiping God. So they're the unplanned songs. So maybe you've been in a church service before where the worship leader starts singing something that's not on the screen and you think they're messing up. And you're like, oh, poor guy, he's gone off the map. Or it could be a spiritual song. The song that, yeah, the slide guy's like, like what's going on here? Um, a spiritual song is a good thing. It's, it's a spontaneous song because like I, like I, it's good to get my wife a card that somebody else wrote for her. That's fine. Like she appreciates that. But She'd really like to hear what's coming from my heart as well. And I think that's kind of God's invitation here. It's like, yes, yeah, sing the psalms that, so- that other people have written. That's great. But I'd also like to hear what's coming from your heart. And that can make us uncomfortable, right? Because when the s- if the worship leader is going off the map and singing something that's not on the screen, you might think, oh, that's my cue to sit down. I finally get a song off, you know. Uh, I can just take it easy. No, it's actually better if that's happening to just close your eyes maybe and let their love of Jesus minister to you. Just enjoy it. Or better yet, try to join in with them. If it's repetitive enough, maybe join in with them. Or even better still, take that as an opportunity to sing your own song to Jesus. And this doesn't have to be a deep theological treatise that you've come up with all on your own. It can be as simply as, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And then just put it, and singing like Buddy the Elf said is just talking but moving your voice up and down. So, right, you just sing, I love you, Jesus. I mean, you're singing a spiritual song. You could eat, I'm, I'm, I'm not joking about this. If you're like, I want to grow in spiritual songs, go home today, sing I love the words, I love you, Jesus, to the tune of happy birthday. Really, it's a spiritual song. I love you, Jesus, I love you. There's just something about a song that connects the head and the heart beautifully. God's ordained songs in a special particular way. It's good for our souls to sing. And even if you're not a great singer, you don't get off the hook on this. We all get to sing spontaneous spiritual songs to him as we grow in being spiritual uh, worshipers in spirit and truth. 